Oh, you're still having in and out and in and out? Perfectly wonderful, nothing at all. Interesting. Well, I have my phone up here, still adjusting the mix and stuff. It's still funky and stuff. Anyway, all right. It might be one of those things. Well, you can go and then you come back to the drone play. Right. I, I mean, I've got it pretty close, yeah. and I've got I, my mix is fine. It's just the volume, and I got the volume done pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> Let me. I need more right, guitar. Yep. Yep. Uh, this is Amazing Grace. Hurry up, Jesse's coming, and Tommy. Oh man! Uh oh, I lost. I unplugged myself. Go get John. Check his microphone. <laughs> Try not to yell.
the on-off switch is a little button on these things. It's, it's, it's easy to miss. It just is. It's the way it goes. It's easy to forget those things. Some of you are already aware Jim Schneider's body died Friday morning, March 4th, 2022. Jim was not afraid of what would happen when his body gave out. He was not, you know, wasn't some sort of bravado pounding his chest in ignorance. He was certain. Jim was certain that he would live on. He was not suggesting that he would live on as some untouchable, impersonal energy without mind or soul. He was not suggesting that he would only live on in our memories. Jim was certain that he would live on as Jim. Jim, perhaps with a lot more understanding, seeing things more clearly than he did before, but still Jim. In no way did Jim think that the death of his physical body was the end of his life. More things besides. I'm going to go into the rest of that on Saturday. Uh, Friday is his viewing here from 4 to 8. Saturday is a funeral uh, at 11 o'clock, but you can also come by early from 10 to 11 uh, for visitation then as well. So please keep those things in mind. I feel deflated. Jim was my friend. And yet, there's a certain amount of joy. Jim's body was destroyed and was being destroyed for quite some time. And he didn't like that. I didn't like that. And I don't think anybody liked that. So he doesn't have to go through that. Gets a whole new body, brand new. I don't know what his worship service is like this morning. Probably better than ours. Probably hear some better preaching anyway. Uh, I don't even know if they meet on Sunday mornings. I don't even know how that works. But uh, probably good worship service. I've, I've got one goal. I've got a number of goals in life, I suppose, but one goal in particular. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Uh, one of these days, I do want to beat uh, my dad at a game of chess. Uh, yeah, won't happen. That's the way it goes. I, I tell you, when, when you run up against some things that are difficult like that, um, sometimes it's tempting to just not play the game, you know. I don't want to play, right? That's what the... That's, that's what the the jerk on the playground says, right? I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to play. Well, the problem is, if you don't play, you don't have any chance, not only of winning, but you don't have any chance of learning, of understanding, of growing in the ability to play the game. And so, it's better for you to be a player on the board. Let's thank Jesus. Jesus, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your revelation. We thank you, Father, for the love that you give us. We thank you that 
that we get to dive into this, that we get to apply these things to our life, that we get to, we get to practice it and make mistakes along the way as we are changed and as we are refined. Please open our, our eyes, our hearts, our minds today as we look at the various ways in which we can serve your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, we have been going through uh, this series for quite some time, Survival of the Fit, looking at what makes a person fit to serve. This is something we need to take very seriously in our lives. When Jesus makes a distinction between being fit to serve and not fit to serve, you, you better dive in. You better ask some more questions. And so these are some of the things we've been going over for quite some time now. And we've seen that all of these things that make us fit to serve are the very same things that Jesus asks of us when we give our lives over to him. Survival of the fit. And we introduced last week or two weeks ago, I I can't remember, uh, we introduced the spiritual gifts that each believer in Jesus Christ is given. A measure of grace given out to all of us. Before we go too far into this, though, number one, this is going to be, you know, there's some messages, I suppose, that speak to the emotion. This one's not. Uh, This one is instructional. It's informational. But I don't want us to get so fixated on what this spiritual gift is and where this spiritual gift is and why this spiritual gift is and whether I can't have it or see it or know it or find it. I don't want us to get so fixated on that that we miss the point that Paul follows with in 1 Corinthians and also in Romans chapter 12. But leading up to that, we are going to begin discussing some of the spiritual gifts that we see throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, and this is just one chapter, this is just one book. There are numerous places throughout Scripture that we see various gifts. To each one, the manifestation, that is the outward showing of the Spirit, is given, notice this, for the common good. For the common good. This is step number one. When it comes to understanding, realizing, identifying a gift that we have, we look at the mentality, we look at the condition of the heart. I want to be able to show people stuff, right? I want people to look at me. I want this, I want that. Manifestation of the Spirit is for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the very same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. And this is going to be very, very important, extremely important. We're going to find out here in just a moment. To another, speaking in many kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of those tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. He distributes them to each one, just as He determines. Not as I determine, not as you determine, but as God the Holy Spirit determines in your life. Again, we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. Spiritual gift is this. I like the way Tony Evans sums it up. 
It is a divinely bestowed ability to every true believer in Jesus Christ in order to serve the church. In order to serve the church, not in order to serve our own ego or serve ourselves. So what are some of the details of these gifts? And how do we start to uncover them in our own lives? Is there a way? Paul tells us a way. So many times we we skip over this. We think that Paul leaves us hanging, that Christ leaves us hanging in his word and never brings us to a conclusion. But Paul, or Jesus Christ through his servant Paul, tells us that there is a way. We'll see that later on. First of all, I want to look at some of these spiritual gifts. We start with apostleship. This is, you know, we see this displayed throughout Scripture in the New Testament, throughout the, the book of Acts in particular. Apostleship really for our uh, uh, interpretation or for our parlance is a missionary. In fact, I like the way Jack Cottrell says this. The word apostle comes from a common Greek verb, apostoleo, which means to send or to send out or send on a mission. He says, in a generic sense, an apostle is anyone sent on a mission, such as some of the men that Paul sent out to facilitate the collecting of the uh, money for poor in Jerusalem. The word apostle, he goes on, is linguistically equivalent to our word missionary, and it's probably used in that sense when we talk about Barnabas and Saul in Acts chapter 13. Some think that the spiritual gift of apostleship today refers to anyone sent forth to preach the message of the cross or to church or, or plant churches or missionaries or so forth. And he says now, and I agree with this, that is possible. That is possible. But it is unlikely. This function probably is talking about just the apostles set aside for that specific role in Scripture. The men chosen by Jesus Christ to be his personal representatives in establishing the church following his ascension. And this is really where we are familiar with the word apostle. Setting up, founding, going through the hard stuff when it comes to establishing the church in a very dangerous time, very difficult time. A calling of specific people for a specific time. For a specific purpose, the foundation of the church. Now, look, they did other things besides. If you read through the ministry and history of apostleship, they did a lot of miraculous things and wonderful things. But all of this was done for the establishment of the church. So let's move on. Again, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, distinguishing between spirits. And again, this is always very, very important to us, to another speaking in tongues and another interpretation of tongues. Now, you need to understand cessation versus continuation. A lot of times, you know, we go through life, we go through church, and we don't think about some of these terms. Cessation versus continuation. Cessation is the belief that some of these gifts that the Holy Spirit bestows upon His servants in the church uh, were bestowed for a time for a purpose, that purpose has been fulfilled, and those particular gifts are not bestowed upon believers in the church. Continuation is the belief that all of these spiritual gifts we talk about in Scripture continue on, continue on in our day, continue on, uh, you know, uh, once, once we 
our, uh, once we pass away, it continues on even after that. And this is where we get into some of the difficulty and the struggle when it comes to the interpretation of Scripture, particularly the spirit gift of miracles. This is the working of miracles in the King James Version or miraculous powers in the NIV. Miracles are supernatural events that occur outside of the bounds of what we may consider to be natural. Although, let's face it, for God, it's perfectly natural. Miracles, nothing. God, it's just regular Tuesday to perform some of the amazing miracles that He does. This gift is working through specific people who are blessed with a specific gift. Some of the examples we see in Scripture, casting out of demons, raising people from the dead in the New Testament, striking one with blindness, we see that in the New Testament. The apostles often have these gift of miracles. Even Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, I have persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, <clears throat> wonders, and miracles. And there are some in the New Testament who were not apostles, or we didn't think of them as apostles, and they certainly had these gifts of miracles. Philip comes to mind. Stephen comes to mind. <clears throat> but bear in mind always, when you think about miracles in the church, when you think about miracles that you've seen or miracles that you've witnessed, bear in mind, these gifts were used to build and to build up the church, not themselves. Every time, every record, every moment, we see them being used to build up others, to build up the church, never to build up themselves, never miracles simply for miracles' sake. So the question, do you possess the gift of miracles? I would love it if there were many things in Scripture where God says definitely yes or definitely no. We think that that would make our life pretty easy. We think that that would make our life a little freer to express some of the things that we're able to when it comes to this work of the Holy Spirit through our lives. Well, He did that once in the Old Testament. The Old Testament law, definitely yes. Definitely no. Don't wear this. Don't do that. Don't say this. Don't eat that. Don't sing those things. And the New Testament, unfortunately, is not quite like that, or perhaps fortunately. There's nothing in Scripture to definitively say no, but it's not good to leave it there. And why? Because we know that there are many charlatans out there, many people that can lead us astray. This is one of the reasons discernment is so important. Miracles from God have certainly not ceased. We experience those. In fact, I've seen what I would consider to be a miracle in my life. These things done through divine grace, prayer, and intercession. But we're talking about a human being with a special and specific gift given by the Holy Spirit. As we look at the context in which the apostles and others use these things, they had the gift of miracles laying the foundation of the church in order to establish it, to bear witness to the truth of the message that they are giving. God knows that people need this. God knew that people needed it when this new thing, as it were, called the church was being established. 
In fact, Jesus even tells his disciples, particularly Philip, but he tells his disciples in John 14, believe me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe the evidence of the works, that is miracles that we find in John chapter 5. At least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus tells the Pharisees, don't believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, and this is multiple works, this is the character of the Father, but also the miracles. If I do them, even though you do not believe in me, at least believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am the Father. Sometimes these things are needed. I don't think that miracles are needed for those who walk with Christ and know Jesus, been a part of Jesus in his life. It would have been a miracle for Jim to be healed. He didn't need that. He didn't need that. I think they're wonderful things, but I love the quote of C.S. Lewis, miracles are for beginners. Again, I can't say that through Scripture this gift has ceased. I can't tell you that. I wish I could. wish I could say yes or no. Given the evidence, I think it's quite probable that this particular gift served its purpose. We now have the completed Word of God. We have this direction, conviction of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, we have church history which helps authenticate the message of the church. And again, discernment must play a role. But also we have the rest of the body. We have the rest of the body in their gifts. We have the rest of the service of the body to edify you and me. The gift of miracles. Was it given? Yes. Is it given? Maybe. But I do know that it was the work of the Holy Spirit always to build up the church. Anyone who was building up themselves or tearing down down the church or leading people astray from Jesus Christ was a charlatan. What about the gifts of healing? The gifts of healing. You can continue on in your same passage of 1 Corinthians 12. You see the gift of healing listed there. This is certainly related to miracles, but it's not exactly the same thing. It's a little bit more specific as Paul lays this out. The gifts of healing. The first thing we think of is miraculous healing. This is God working through a person who has been given this specific gift. And sure enough, we see that in the New Testament. Probably, I think the most obvious that comes to mind is John and Peter in the temple. Acts chapter 3. Now a man was lame from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those coming into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And this man began testifying about the apostles and their message and the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Certainly they had the gift of healing. But do Jesus and John and Peter and Paul and all of these others, do they ever pursue this healing for their own gain? The purpose was never just to heal the body. Read through it yourself. Read through the context of the miracles of Christ. Read through the context of the miracles of the apostles. It was never just to save the body. 
Paul healed, but he didn't heal himself. Paul struggled with affliction in his life, but never healed. Timothy writes to him and says, I'm struggling with affliction, Paul, and Paul didn't heal him either. It was always directing people to the complete healing and total restoration of Jesus. What we needed was this physical image in order to get it through our heads, this miraculous healing. I like Galatians 4. We know that, as you know, it was of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ himself. And he suffered with other afflictions besides. It was always to draw people to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Use discernment, church. This is the true and lasting healing in our lives. And the same with other miracles, general miracles as well. Again, there are never miracles for miracles' sake every time in Scripture. It's always to draw us into a close understanding and a trust in Jesus Christ to authenticate the message and the authority. But I find it interesting here also that this is the one spiritual gift that Paul refers to in the plural form. We see evidence in Scripture of miraculous healing of the physical body. We see evidence of non-miraculous healing of the physical body. This gift, this insight that people are given. By the way, some of you probably know the answer to this. What was Luke's profession? He was a doctor. You know who traveled around with Paul when he was going hither and yon trying to establish churches? Luke (laughs) went with him. Incredible insight that he had into the human body. Multiple gifts, Paul writes in the plural, this ability to heal. Does the gift of miraculous healing stop? Once again, I'd love to tell you that the Bible says definitely yes or definitely no. I could accept either one, but the Bible doesn't say it. In fact, if you notice... The Bible doesn't say definitively yes or definitively no with a lot of things in life that we face, that we experience. And I really think that's the point. We are meant to search. We are meant to read. We are meant to critically analyze and go through the entire Word of God beginning to put the pieces together. You know as well as I do that if someone pours some information into you, very often they pour it into one ear, comes out the other. Ah, but if you search for it yourself and you build it and you study it and you come to a certainty in the Word of God, it becomes a part of you. It changes what and who you are. For that reason, we look at the verse of service to Jesus Christ. And we want to know everything there is to know when it comes to being fit to serve for Jesus Christ. It actually becomes a part of who you are. Again, one of the reasons why distinguishing between spirits or discernment is so important, we'll get there in a moment. And this is also precisely why the body works together and must work together to build one another up, to give each other insight, to walk with one another. Another gift that we see from the Holy Spirit is the gift of faith. The gift of faith. 
And, and this can be misunderstood at times. After all, if we believe in Jesus Christ, do we not all have the gift of faith? Wouldn't that be easy enough to say, well, everybody who professes and proclaims the name of Jesus has the gift of faith? Well, they certainly have persevering faith. They have serving faith or saving faith. But the faith Paul uses here goes a little deeper than that. This faith Paul is referring to is prayer. It is intercession. It is complete trust in Jesus Christ no matter the circumstances and no matter the difficulty. You know what this kind of faith is? Childlike faith. Childlike faith. You, you, by this point, I don't know how long I've been here. You've got to be tired of hearing that. Childlike faith. There was a storm last night, and I got the tap. Sure enough, it was Sam standing there by the bed. He doesn't even wait for me to respond anymore. You know, I, I know there's a storm. We can hear the storm. I get the tap. He sees me open my eyes, and he turns and he walks out, you know. childlike faith. I wasn't going to stop the storm. Yeah, tornado blew through. I wasn't even gonna, what was I going to do? But we went back to his room and went to sleep. Trusting Jesus. A deep, total, committed trust to Christ. You know, a good example of this is Matthew 17. We actually talked about this a few weeks back. Disciples trying to drive out an evil spirit. They were out of training. We know that. Right? Last week we said whoever has will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken. Jesus drove it out. The disciples asked him, hey, why couldn't we drive this out? Jesus answered, Matthew chapter 17, because you have so little faith. None of these guys walked out on Jesus. None of these guys gave up. Nobody, none of these guys turn around and says, Jesus, you're not real, you're a liar, you're a fake, you're a fraud. This is the kind of faith we're talking about that Paul says, Paul is talking about. Truly I tell you, says Jesus, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, nothing will be impossible for you. They didn't give up on Christ, but this faith needed to be built. It's not best defined as persevering faith, but persistent faith. And there's a great deal of courage wrapped up in this type of faith. This type of faith is Paul and Silas singing in prison. This type of faith is Paul going to Jerusalem knowing he's going to be arrested. This, is, this type of faith is Stephen addressing the Sanhedrin, knowing that these bad things are going to happen. This is recognizing your weakness and moving forward through God's strength and God's power, this power of prayer in our lives, being alive and active and noticeable in your life. You know, it's interesting, as I was writing through this, particularly two people, two names in this church and in this body came into my head. And I said to myself, I want to be like them. Probably more. Two jumped out. And I want to be like them. But given the words of Christ to his disciples, I wonder, can this gift be attained? After all, isn't it the Holy Spirit that bestows this as he wills? Here's a question, can it grow? And if it can be cultivated, do you have 
this gift of the Holy Spirit and not know it? Has this cultivation been lax? Again, these are questions we'll get to later on. What other gifts do we have? The gift or messages of words of wisdom. Remember, we've covered before the definition of wisdom, skillful living, but specifically here, skillful living through the application of God's Word, yet another person in this church that jumps to mind when I hear this. This application is meant to be shared, it's meant to be taught, it's to be revealed to the church, it's meant to be revealed to its church members. That's what it is, this message or word of wisdom. It's meant to build up the body to complete its mission. Again, it's not just wisdom, though that is good and noble, it's a good pursuit, but it's the message of wisdom, the words of wisdom that we give. This is certainly related to, but not the same thing of our next one, the gift of the words of knowledge, that is grasping the meaning of what is said or what is written, to understand it and to speak it. This is slightly different than teaching, but it's related to teaching. Teaching is a gift as well. Teaching rests upon the ordering of this knowledge and conveying it most clearly. But we still have a responsibility to speak to others the knowledge that we gain, perhaps to a teacher, in order to help them teach. Think of it this way. One gains knowledge, talks to the guy with wisdom and says, hey, how do you apply this? The guy with wisdom says, well, here's how I would apply that. Both of them go to the teacher. We say, we got this figured out. Now you figure out how to teach this and convey it to your students. The gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom, the gift of teaching, and they all work together in the body and in the church. You can't cut off one part of the body. I think you don't need one part of the body for the body to work the way it's meant to work. The gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, and certainly those build the gift of teaching. Remember, the point of these gifts is to build up the body, not yourself. To have the gift of knowledge or have a gift of wisdom and refuse to pursue it or use it for church edification is comparable to burying your gift, burying your opportunity. You don't want to do that. We learned last week, Jesus gets upset by things like that, doesn't he? You wicked and lazy servant. Knowledge focuses on grasping the meaning of truth, wisdom on the proper conduct that applies to that meaning. So what if I think I have a gift like this in my life? What if I've been given this gift? How can I be sure that it is true? How can I be sure that it's accurate to his word? Well, we are part of a body and there's help for that. The gift of discernment that is distinguishing between spirits. Determining if what is said is true and accurate to the word. That is, that is the gift of discernment. The devil is the great deceiver. John chapter 8, you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. There is a tremendous deceiver in this world and in this life. God places people in the church with a special gift of discernment to test what is taught against Scripture. Again, as I'm reading this, as I'm writing this, two more people come to mind, specific by name in this body. People I've used before. Tell me if I'm on the right track here, I'll say. They see, they hear, they understand and know the red flags. 
These people are watchmen on the tower. We are civilians inside the city. There's many times you, me, we need to be able and willing to call to the watchman. I heard this. I was taught this. People are saying this. Is this true? Is this accurate? And we must call to the watchman on the tower. We must call to the guardian that lets not the wolf through the door. Once again, a great example through all of these things, wisdom, knowledge, through discernment, how all of these gifts work together in the body and are cultivated and used. By the way, there's no spare parts. The body doesn't have spare parts. You're the body of Christ. You are the light of the world, and there are no spare parts. We will, hang with me, we will get to the place where we begin to discover and discern for ourselves. Not today. But you got to stay with me. There's no magic wands used with this. This comes from revelation by the Spirit, study of the Word, if you're going to be a watchman on the tower. Again, the whole body working together. This is why the sermon I said earlier was so important to all of these gifts. I've called people before, emailed them, talked to them on the phone. I've studied, I've gained knowledge, understood the application, put it into a message or a lesson plan, and then I spoke to people with discernment. This is what I've got. Make sure I'm not missing the mark here. By the way, you know what it's called when you miss the mark? It's an archery term. Sin. Sin. That's what it's called when you miss the mark. We're going to continue to break down some of these gifts as we move forward. Your job. Your job is not the result of saved people. Your job is openness to obedience. Openness to obedience, to the prompting of the Spirit in your life. Bottom line is this, if you're still struggling with this, if you're still wondering where and how uh, this gift is going to work or is working in your life, the player on the board, God can move. He can place where he wants. He can use it to its maximum effectiveness. But what if you're not willing to be on the board? Who were the ones last week that God could not use in Scripture when it came to building his kingdom? Those who said no. Those who said no. I don't have it all figured out, therefore I'm not going to try. I don't have uh, the guaranteed win, therefore I'm not going to even play the game. You open yourself up to being a player on the board. Interestingly, that's going to come back to us when Paul, at the end of all of this, says, now I will show you the most excellent way. I encourage you to be here, for, be here with us for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. That you can help us discern, that you can help us uh, be led through this to begin to see the specifics of the work of Christ in our lives. Sometimes we need specifics, Father. Sometimes we we can be um, we need to be led by the hand. Uh, I know I do, and I thank you, Father, that you've given people in this church the opportunity to see these things throughout Scripture and so many more to come. I ask that you help us to go into this with excitement. I ask that you help us go into this with, with this desire to see the fruit that you're going to show and you're going to bear. 
in our lives and in the body of Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. Don't forget Mission Sunday next week, and there is a time change that same Sunday. Okay, let's get out of here. Father, we thank you once again. We, we do thank you for this. It's a special gift to do these types of things, to hear about these types of things, to read. I, I, I thank you for the gift that you've given me just, just in the study of these things. Father, I ask that uh, you'll help what we know, the knowledge that we are gaining, uh, permeate our lives, uh, that we will get interested, that we will be interested and have the desire that one day we see the fruit of our labor. I thank you for that. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name.
haven't even started yet, Jim. Jim Schneider's body, at least, died on Friday morning, March 4th, 2022. Jim was not afraid of what would happen when his body gave out. And I don't mean that he was, you know, wasn't some sort of bravado pounding his chest in ignorance. No, he was certain. Jim was certain that he would live on, and he was not suggesting that he would live on as some untouchable, impersonal energy without a mind and soul. He was not suggesting that he would only live on in our memories. He was certain that he would live on as Jim, maybe with a lot more understanding, maybe seeing things more clearly than he did before, but still Jim. In no way did Jim think that the death of his body was the end of his life. Um, it's good. It's true. That's real. Jim's viewing is going to be here uh, this Friday um, from 4 to 8. And then his service is going to be the following Saturday right here um, at 11 o'clock. But you can also come a little bit earlier on Saturday as well if you want to visit with family. Um, so that's, that's what happened. Uh, it was, it was, you know, it's difficult. That was hard. Um, Jim is my friend. Um, so I was sad and not sad all at the same time. Jim's body was given out for a long time. Um, and so that was that. Uh, cancer. He was a good friend. Good friend. Moved down to Florida and we very, barely spoke. And when we did, it wasn't of anything important. I was the best friend you could possibly have. Never rarely had to call him. Didn't just swing by and stop by. Wish all my friends were that way. I mean, it was fantastic. Great relationship. I love Jim. Um, something else that disturbed me. And I'm not sure, maybe this is well known, maybe I'm just coming to understand it right now. Have you given up on Dime Mountain Dew? Are you out? Okay, you've got water. All right. No can? Okay. All right. Okay. All right, we can move on. I, I have a cup. Uh, yeah, exactly. I don't know when to start. I don't hear, you know. It's Okay. We'll figure it out. Somebody blow a whistle. Then I'll know when to start or something, all right? Um, really troubling. I just, it was, all right? There, I've got a number of goals in life, uh, but one of those goals is someday to beat my dad at chess. Um, I mentioned that in the first service. He was here. He rudely interrupted, said no. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll beat him someday. Who knows? Uh, sometimes, though, if... if <laughs> You're not good at something, or uh, you know, if, if you tend to lose a lot, or seems like you lose a lot, uh, there there's a temptation sometimes to just not play, right? I don't want to play. 
That's what the jerk says on the, on the playground, right? I'm just going to go home. I don't want to play anymore. Well, the problem with that, certainly if I keep losing to chess or losing in chess and don't want to play anymore, I don't have any hope of winning. I certainly don't have any hope of victory. I don't have any hope of moving the pieces into their proper position. I mean, I could just quit, just stop, but I'm never going to see how this wonderful and beautiful game can play out. It's the same thing when it comes to your service in the kingdom of Christ, and certainly it's the same thing when it comes to an area or a particular place uh, in, in service to the kingdom of Christ that you have been blessed with. It might be difficult. It may not go exactly the way you want. Uh, it might take some work, some practice. It might take uh, cultivation and honing some skills. But you still want to be, be a player on the board. Otherwise, you're just out of the game. There's nothing Jesus can do with the one who says no. There's a lot Jesus can do with the one that says, show me how. Show me how. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again that we have the opportunity, the gift to read, to study, to know, uh, and to apply. We thank you, Father, for uh, challenging us through this series and challenging us today. We ask, Father, that you'll be part of this service. Open our eyes, open our mind, open our heart. Give this, give this desire to us to want to wanna live out this purpose, this mission that other people may come to know who you are. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, we've been going through this series for some time. The series is Survival of the Fit. Survival of the Fit. Really breaking down what Jesus says about being suited to fit, right? Being ready to fit, being fit to serve. Um, and Look, if Jesus is going to bring this point up, if he's going to suggest that there are those who are fit to serve and those who are not, you got to dive into it. you got to look deeper into these things. I mean, there's a lot of things that we we'll read about in Scripture, and it really moves our mind. It moves our hearts, and sometimes we just don't shut the Bible and put it away and say, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to talk about that and read about that. No, that's when you need to dive in and begin to digest, meditate upon these things and really make it become a part of your life. And a couple of weeks ago, as we're going through this longer series, we eventually get into areas of service in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And if you're going to talk about areas of service in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, you're going to talk about the empowerment that Jesus gives you through the Holy Spirit to serve. This is what's known as spiritual gifts, right? This ability to serve through the power of the Holy Spirit, I like, that's what Tony Evans says, he sums it up pretty good. A spiritual gift is a divinely bestowed ability given to every believer in Jesus Christ in order to serve the church, in order to serve the church. In fact, Paul says the same thing, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now to each one, the manifestation, that's this expression, this noticeable thing. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, not for personal glorification, all right? Not for ease, comfort, not for a lot of these things, but for the common good, to build up others, to uplift others, to build the church, the kingdom of Christ, to introduce people to Jesus, to save lives. That's why it's there, not to be wasted. 
The manifestation of the Spirit has been given for the common good. This is really kind of step number one when it comes to understanding and realizing the kind of power that the Holy Spirit is going to work through our lives. Where's your mind to begin with? Where's your heart to begin with? Is it for self-glorification or is it to benefit others, build up others? Paul talks about this a little bit later on in 1 Corinthians 12, but he also talks about this in Romans as well. Anyway, it goes on, verse 8, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the very same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that, that one Spirit, the very same Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, that's discernment. This is going to be very, very important as we go through this message today. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, interpreting tongues. All of these are work are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Not as I determine, not as you determine, not as the world determines, but as the Holy Spirit determines, He distributes to each one. Now, some messages that we do, some lessons that we have, really move and, and, and speak to the emotion sometimes. This is not one of those. All right? This is informational as we go through this part of this series. It's going to be informational for a, couple of, uh, for a couple of weeks, but then we're going to have an opportunity to act upon the information that we've been given. Again, next week, we're going to take a short pause in this series and talk about some of our missions. So what are the details of these gifts? And how do I start to uncover them in my own lives? By the way, there is a way to uncover this, this area of service in your own life. Sometimes we just go about it the wrong way. In fact, Paul tells us there's a way to uncover these in your lives. We'll talk about that later. We're going to get to some of the specifics of these gifts. I told you we were going to get here eventually. First off is apostleship. Apostleship. We see apostleship throughout Scripture. We see it particularly in the New Testament. We see it in the book of Acts. But we see it all throughout the letters, the apostles writing, and so on and so forth. Apostleship a specific calling for a specific people. I like what Jack Cottrell has to say about the word apostle. Apostle means to send or to send out or send on a mission. And so, he says, and I agree with this, in a generic sense, an apostle is anyone sent on a mission. Uh, For example, some of the men that Paul sent out to collect uh, uh, alms for the poor in Jerusalem. He sent, out them, uh, sent them out to facilitate that. They would be referred to and called apostles. The word apostle linguistically is equivalent to our word missionary. And it's very often used that way, certainly when we talk about Barnabas and Saul. These are the words of Dr. Cottrell. Some think that this spiritual gift of apostleship today refers to anyone sent forth to preach the message of the cross or church planting or or missionaries. And that is possible. Period. Let that sink in. That is possible. Has that sunk in? Okay, now we'll move on. But highly unlikely. The way we understand it in Scripture, the examples we see in Scripture, what we read in Scripture is very much this, a specific calling of a specific group of people for a specific time and a specific purpose as they are laying out the foundations of the church. 
Apostles refer to the office of apostleship, to men chosen by Jesus Christ to be this representative establishing the church in this world. That definition right there is not found in Scripture, okay? But that's what you find and you see the evidence given when it comes to apostleship. And so, once again, if we refer to ourselves as apostle, can you be an apostle in its truest definition, yes. In its truest definition, the answer is yes. But in the way it is displayed throughout Scripture, it is most probably no. These apostles did other things besides and many things in order to accomplish the mission. But this was done for the establishment of the church at its very beginning. There were some amazing things that happened and very, very serious things and things that we find hard to uh, find today. Why? Because God was carving out this place in history for the church that you and I partake of 2,000 years later. So what else can we say? What are all other, some of the spiritual gifts that we see just in this passage? And there are spiritual gifts we see throughout the New Testament. The spiritual gift of miracles, the spiritual gift of miracles, 1 Corinthians 12, 10, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits. Again, that's discernment to another speaking in different languages and so forth. If we're going to talk about the, spirit, the, the spiritual gift of miracles, we need to know the difference between cessation and continuation. Cessation and continuation. And these are really two different ways people see these uh, gifts of the Spirit or some of these gifts of the Spirit in Scripture. Cessation is the idea that some of these gifts of the Holy Spirit were given to specific people, specific times, for a specific role at the foundation of the church. And they were building this church. And they needed some of these powers, some of these miraculous gifts and so forth to establish their authority and their authenticity of the gospel message. Afterwards, those gifts, those spiritual gifts, had played their part. They'd played their role, and they're no longer a part of our lives, no longer needed. There are other spiritual gifts that are part of our lives. That's the, sensation, uh, the cessation viewpoint. Then there's the continuation viewpoint, which is, look, these spiritual gifts were given, and they haven't stopped. Spiritual gift of miraculous power, spiritual gift of, of miraculous healings, and so on and so forth. You could even throw apostleship in there. These things are, are talked about in Scripture. They're given in Scripture. Paul talks about them. We see that they are a real thing throughout the New Testament, and they continue on to this day even though they are harder to see and harder to recognize. I will tell you, the church is just about split right down the middle between cessation versus continuation. Uh, As we move on, the working of the miracles, or working of miracles is what it's called in King James. In the NIV, it's miraculous powers. Now, miracles are supernatural events that occur outside the bounds of what you and I might consider natural. Although, when it comes to miracles in God, it's quite natural for him, you know, forming an incredible miracle is just a real random Tuesday. But working through now specific people who are blessed with that specific gift. Some examples we see in the New Testament, you've heard of these saints casting out of demons. In the New Testament, raising people from the dead, uh, striking people with blindness. I mean, this is incredible stuff. The apostles had the gift of miracles. You know, even Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. There were some in the New Testament that had these gift of miracles that weren't necessarily even apostles. Philip comes to mind. Stephen comes to mind. 
But bear in mind, even in the case of Philip and Stephen, and certainly in the case of the apostles, these gifts, these miraculous gifts, were used to build and to build up the church, not themselves. It wasn't to uh, you know, make a show up. It wasn't to show people how wonderful they are. It wasn't even to take away difficulty, hardship, and burden. That wasn't the point. These miraculous gifts were shown in order to build up the church of Jesus Christ. They were not just miracles for miracles' sake. And that power was given to them by God, the Holy Spirit. If you're looking for a diet Mountain Dew, Crystal, don't ask Denny, okay? Now, the question is, do you have the gift of miracles? Right? And if we're talking about people, the power of the Holy Spirit working through them in specific ways, do you have the gift of miracles? Look, what I'd like to say is definitely yes or definitely no. The problem is the Bible doesn't say that. There's nothing in Scripture to definitively say no. But I can't leave it there because you know as well as I do, there are many charlatans around. Many people that put on a good show. And can lead people astray. And if I read the words of Paul that the miracles were evidence of apostleship, and then I see the charlatan that puts on a good show and leads me astray, I need to be very, very careful. You see, this is where discernment comes in. Is the message they give, or the words they're talking about, lifting up and praising Jesus Christ and building the church, is it in accordance with the gospel message? Now, look, miracles have never ceased. God continues to perform miracles in our lives. I have witnessed what I consider to be a miracle through divine grace, through prayer, through intercession. But we're talking about a human being with a special gift. Look at the context in which the miracles are performed. Again, apostles and some others had miracles while laying the foundation of the church in order to establish it and bear witness of the truth of their message. God knows that we need that, right? He knows that. He understands that. That as these new things come about, that we need affirmation of the authority that these apostles had. You know, Jesus even tells his disciples, more precisely Philip, a different Philip than what we were talking about earlier. Uh, he tells his disciples to believe in the miracles if they must. In fact, he puts it like that. Believe in the miracles if you must, if, if, if you have to. <laughs> I like what uh, C.S. Lewis says about miracles. Miracles are for beginners, right? Um, those who've walked with Jesus Christ, those who know Him, they understand Him. He understands them. I, the, the miracles are not needed in order to understand and see who Jesus is in their lives. It would have been a miracle for Jim to be healed. He didn't need that. He didn't need that. He knew who Jesus was. But he tells the, he even tells the apostles, he says, look, if you have to believe on the miracles, or John chapter 14, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works, that is miracles from John chapter 5, at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. He tells the Pharisees the same thing. Don't believe me unless I do the works of my Father, but if I do them, even though you don't believe me, at least believe, believe the works, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, I cannot say, nor will I say, through Scripture that this gift has ceased. I will not say that. can't find that. But given the evidence of the context, it is quite probable that this particular gift served its purpose. 
And we now have this completed word of God. We have this convicting of the Spirit in our heart for authority and affirmation. We have the history of the church that talks about its authenticity and justifies its authenticity. And again, this is why discernment is so important. There's also things that we have that they didn't have before, which is the rest of the body and these wonderful believers and their gifts and discernment, wisdom, knowledge, teaching, prophecy. That's the gift of miracles that we read about in Scripture. We know that these things are true. What about the gifts of healing? The gifts of healing, you find that also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is certainly related to miracles, but it's not exactly the same thing. It's a little bit more specific. The first thing we may think of when we think of gifts of healing is miraculous healing done by God through a person who has received this special gift. And sure enough, we see that in the New Testament multiple places. Probably the most obvious that comes to mind is John and Peter at the temple in Acts chapter 3. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And this man goes on to testify about the message of the apostles, goes on to testify about the name and the word of Jesus Christ. Certainly, Peter and John had the gift of healing. But from, again, Jesus to John to Peter to Paul, the purpose you got to go back and see everything in its context. you got to read through the ministry of Christ. The purpose was never just to heal the body and then go on about your way. That was never the purpose of miraculous healings. It was always to show a picture, a glimmer, a glimpse of the total and complete eternal healing of the human being that Jesus offers to you and me in our lives. It was to grant authority to those extending, passing on, teaching that true message of the gospel. It was always to build up the church. It wasn't just healings for healing's sake. It wasn't just miracles for miracles' sake. But we know that Paul, Paul suffered with affliction, maybe multiple afflictions. Never once healed himself. Never once healed himself. Timothy suffered. Paul didn't heal him. They didn't need it. They didn't need it. They knew who Jesus was. They knew the power of the Holy Spirit. They knew what the real self was, the eternal self, the important stuff. They didn't need it. We know Paul suffered. Galatians chapter 4, as you know, it's because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you, even though my illness was a trial to you. This was ongoing. You didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. And again, other possible afflictions from 2 Corinthians 12, you can read about those as well. It was to draw people to the saving grace of Jesus, the true and lasting healing in our lives. The same with other miracles. They weren't miracles just for miracles' sake. It was always to draw us to Jesus, this message of authority, and to authenticate that authority. But I find it interesting when it talks about the spirit, the uh, gift of miracles, that this is where Paul uses... Uh, the plural form, gifts of healing, gifts of healing. We see evidence of Scripture, miraculous healing of the physical body. We see evidence of non-miraculous healing throughout Scripture. By the way, just some of you probably know this, what was Luke's job? Anybody know? 
He was a doctor. And isn't it convenient that Paul's traveling all over the known world trying to set up churches, going off on his own, and the one guy that goes with him to record everything he's doing happens to be a doctor. It's almost as if this is a plan. Gifts of healing. Gifts of healing. Power of the Holy Spirit working through people. So does the gift of miraculous healing stop? Once again, I'd love to tell you either definitively yes or no. The Bible doesn't say that, though. You know, the Bible doesn't say yes or no definitively about a lot of things that we face in life. You ever notice that? Well, sometimes we think, boy, it would be nice if there was just a definite yes and a definite no about everything we came across in life and how we had to live it out. Well, God did that once. It's called the Old Testament law, isn't it? Now we live under the grace of Jesus Christ. Gives us this ability to express the power of the Spirit in our lives, to live out the love of Jesus Christ. But with that, lacks a little bit of the specifics when it comes to yes and no. And honestly, church, I really do think that's the point. I think that's the point. Jesus wants us to search Him out. To search Him out. There is more growth in the search than there is in just the answer. The answer comes and goes. You can get answers. You can get answers on Sunday morning. A guy can stand up here and preach a message, and sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other, so I've heard. (laughs) But if you look, if you search, if you read, if you study, if you ask, it becomes a part of who you are. It actually starts building into your own life. The purpose is the search, or one of the purposes is the search, to know Jesus And to know his word. Once again, distinguishing between spirits is so important. Discernment is so important. The gift of faith is another gift you're going to see in that same passage. This can be misunderstood sometimes. After all, if we believe in Jesus Christ, don't we all have the gift of faith? Seems like we would. But the faith Paul uses here goes a little bit deeper than that. It's a little bit more specific than that even here. Paul is referring to complete and utter trust in God in any and all difficult circumstances. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about intercession. He's talking about your very definition, being in the Spirit, being a part of God and trusting everything that there is about Him. A good example of this, Matthew chapter 17, the disciples tried to drive out an evil spirit and they couldn't do it. They were out of training, we've learned. Remember, whoever has, an, whoever has um, he will be given in abundance, but whoever does not have what he has will be taken away. They were out of training. Jesus drove out the demon, and then the disciples asked him, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 17, because you have so little faith. I guarantee you none of these apostles were giving up on Jesus. They weren't walking out on him. None of them said, you're a fraud and a failure, and I'm done here. They all believed in Jesus. But Jesus is talking about this type of faith that Paul's referring to, this incredible gift of the Spirit that drives us, moves us, rebuilds us into this completely new person in the good days, the bad days, everything, our thoughts, our focus, all of our trust, completely dependent upon the Word of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, when I wrote this part, two people by name, probably more, but two people by name jumped into my head in this church. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. This faith is best defined not as persevering faith, but as persistent 
faith. It's a great deal of courage wrapped up in this faith. This faith is Paul and Silas singing in prison. This faith is Paul going to Jerusalem knowing he's going to be arrested. This faith is Stephen addressing the Sanhedrin. It's recognizing your weakness and moving forward through God's strength and power of prayer, being alive and active, noticeable in your life. That's what this faith is. And it leads others. It strengthens others. It empowers others. You know, given the words of Christ to his disciples. By the way, this is childlike faith. You're probably sick of me hearing, sick of hearing that, right? Childlike faith. Trust. Last night there was a storm. Sam came in, and I got the tap. I was fast asleep. Okay. He doesn't even wait around anymore for me to say okay. I got the tap. He saw me open my eyes, and then he walked into his room, expecting me to follow, which I did. And I went in, I laid down with him, and he went to sleep. I wasn't going to stop the storm. You know, if a tornado blew through, wasn't anything I was going to do. But there's this trust, right? There's this faith, childlike faith, that it's going to be okay. I don't have all the answers, but it's going to be okay, right? That's what this kind of faith is. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about here. So given that context, can this faith be attained? I mean, after all, I thought it was the Holy Spirit that blessed us, that gave us this grace. Can it grow? If it can be cultivated, here's the question, if it can be cultivated, do you have it and not even know it? We're going to get to that a little bit later on as well. Not today, a little bit later on though. We find also the gift of messages or gift of uh, messages of wisdom or words of wisdom. Remember, we've covered before the definition of wisdom, skillfully living, but here specifically through the application of God's word. This application is meant to be shared or taught. It is to be revealed in the church or church members in order to, once again, build up the body and complete our mission. Remember, it's not just about wisdom, though that is good and a noble pursuit, but it is about sharing. It is about the message, the words of wisdom. These things go hand in hand with another gift that we're being given, the gift of the message of knowledge, the gift of the message of knowledge that is grasping the meaning of what has been said or what's been written to understand and to speak this meaning. This is a slightly different, though related to wisdom and teaching. Teaching rests upon ordering this knowledge and conveying it most clearly. But we still have the responsibility to speak to others the knowledge that we gain, the insight that the Holy Spirit is allowing us to have. Who would we speak this to? I got a good one. Speak it to a teacher so they can teach, so they can bring in their class, and so they can begin to instruct Remember, the point of these gifts is to build up the body. It's not just to build up self. To have the gift of knowledge or wisdom and refuse to use it or pursue it for church edification is like burying it in the ground. We learned last week that upsets Jesus. Don't bury it in the ground, you wicked and lazy servant, right? Whether it's opportunity or gifts that we have been given. Wisdom. Knowledge is focusing on and grasping the meaning of truth. Wisdom is on the practical conduct that applies to it. As I was writing this, another name, another face came to mind specifically in this church, someone that I have leaned on before. It's fascinating. You can find someone who has knowledge, 
and they share that with the one who has wisdom, and the wisdom knows how to apply it, and then both of these two go to the teacher and say, hey, look, we figured this out. Now you figure out a way to convey this to the class and the rest of the people. Isn't it amazing how the body of Christ works together? Every part building up, every part having a role to play. You can look at your own body. I got news for you. There are no spare parts. There's no spare parts. Everything. Have <laughs> I, hope, I hope you're not the appendix, though. I, I don't know. But there are no spare parts. And all of this rests upon discernment, the gift of discernment. What if I think I have a gift of knowledge and of wisdom? What if I think I have a gift of teaching or so on and so forth? How can I be sure it's true, accurate to His Word? Again, there's help for that, the gift of distinguishing between spirits or the gift of discernment, determining what is, if what is said is true and accurate to the Word. I know a person, I know more, but one jumps to mind in this church that I've gone to. The devil is the great deceiver. John chapter 8, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He's a liar and the father of lies. There is a lot of deceit in this world, and there must be discerning minds, the gift, the Holy Spirit, placing discernment in our hearts. God places people in the church with this gift of discernment. Talk to them. Ask them. To test what is taught against Scripture, to see and hear the red flags. These people are watchmen on the tower. They are guardians that let not the wolf through the door. If they're the watchmen on the tower, we're the people in the city. Sometimes we need to talk to the watchmen. I've heard, I've seen, I've been taught, I see this going around. Is this true and accurate to the Word of God? And they reveal this knowledge and this wisdom and this understanding through this discerning heart. Now, there's no magic wands used here. This comes from revelation by the Spirit and study of the Word. But once again, isn't it fascinating how we see this example of the whole body working together? And this is why this discernment part is so important. When we look at miracles, when we look at healings, when we look at knowledge and wisdom and teaching being passed on, discernment covering so much of this, it's an incredible role to play. I've used the gift that other people had of discernment. I've studied, I've gained knowledge, understood the application, put it in a message or a lesson plan, and then I've actually called people on the phone or sent them an email and said, this is what I've got. Make sure I'm not missing the target. I sent it to the discerning spirits. By the way, you know what happens, what it's called when you miss the target? It's an archery term. It's a sin. That's right. It's a sin. I don't want to miss the target certainly not out of negligence. We're going to continue to talk about some of these spiritual gifts and breaking these down as we move forward. Again, this, these messages if, over the next few weeks are not going to necessarily be ones that tug at the heartstrings, but I hope they're going to be ones that tug at the mind and challenge you, help you to understand a little bit about these things and maybe reflect upon your own life and examine your own life, how, where, why, and the different opportunities that you could serve in the church. Our job is not always the result of our service, right? It's rarely ever the result of our service. What is our job? And something that we can have complete and total control over. Our job is openness to obedience to Jesus. Nobody can do that for you, and you have control over that. So open your life to obedience to Jesus Christ. If you're a player on the board, no matter where you find yourself today, you might be more confused than when we started. That's fine. Don't worry. We're not done yet, right? 
if you're a player on the board, no matter where you find yourself, God can still place you where he wants you. He, he can play the game, and not only that, play the game, but come out victorious because of your movement, you being open to this movement in the kingdom. But if you're not willing to be on the board, well, you know, last week, who were the ones that Jesus couldn't use for the building of his kingdom? He could use everybody except for the ones who said no. No. Everybody else. Jesus can shape and form and use. And then, you're a part of that victory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for knowledge. The facts. We thank you uh, that we can grow in knowledge and understanding. Uh, we thank you, Father, we can be challenged. The more we understand, the more we can be challenged. And so, Father, I ask that you will help to shape this in our lives and in our minds today. Uh, that you put the desire in our hearts to be a part of the everlasting and eternal kingdom. Not out of fear, but, but out, of, out of admiration, appreciation, out of love for who you are and what you are. I thank you, Father, for granting us this moment. Let it work upon, let us meditate upon just the things we've heard today as we go through this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
about Mission Sunday next week. Don't forget about the time change as well. We start at 9.30. Let's get out of here. Father, we thank you for the joy we have right here today. We know that this is, this is a gift. This is a present that you have given to us, and we thank you for it. We thank you that we can look around in this room and see people that love us, see people that care about us, see, see people that are struggling with the same things we are. But we also know that you love us more than anything, and you help us, you grant us this body and this family together to uplift us, to build us, to strengthen us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.